0: All right. Turning your hymnal to number 136. I'm not going to sing it, but I want you to read the words. 136 in the hymnal. I just want the chorus. This is kind of the the theme for this morning. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Who's the actor in all these events? By actor, I don't mean pretending. I mean the one who's performing the action. Jesus Jesus paid it. Everything I have I owe to his actions. My sin had left a terrible crimson stain had. He washed it white as snow. That's what I want you to be thinking about today, about Jesus paying it, Jesus washing, and us being the beneficiary of that, the one who receives the good. All right. Two weeks ago, we started our foundational teaching on the doctrines of grace. I'm not covering every verse that could be used to teach this. I'm not covering every verse that people bring up as a challenge to it. We could go deeper in that later. I'm trying to teach it as plainly and as simply as it is. I firmly believe this is truth, And I'm trying to teach it so that even the youngest can get it. And so, if they can get it, then older folks, y'all should get it too, right? And you should be able to... Teach it, right? So, we started with the concept of total depravity. That is the natural condition of man going all the way back to the garden when Adam obeyed. Or did he obey? No, he disobeyed. Did not obey God. He ate of the fruit that had been forbidden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and he sinned. Sin came into the world. Death passed upon all of Adam's descendants, right? They became sinners. Their nature was corrupted. Totally corrupt. There was no good in them. Not a scintilla of it, not the littlest bit. And they were estranged from God. They were separated from God. That is our default state. We looked at when that starts from the earliest moment of conception and applies to everybody. And there are real clear verses to talk about. There are none that seek God. There are none that doeth good. No, not one. This is foundational level. You cannot understand and Keep up with the rest of the truth. If you miss this part, okay, that's where we were—dead in trespasses and sins, zero spiritual life. Okay, no power, no strength, total depravity. All right. Then we looked last weekend at the doctrine of unconditional election—the choice of God made without condition upon who was worthy. All right. If you look at the whole mass of humanity, they were all equally unworthy. That includes you, that includes me, that includes everybody. And from that, God in his sovereign will, before the world began, selected a people and put his love upon them. That was his choice, that was his right. He is the sovereign, he's the one that's the highest And his explanation that he gives to us that we have to be satisfied with. You cannot argue with the Creator God. The explanation he gives is that I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. So he chose to show mercy on some. All right? Is that a small number? No, it's a huge number. A number no man can count. Is it just from, you know, people that look like me or in my country or this particular time zone? right. Out of all kindreds, nations, people, and tongue. He's not a respecter of persons, right? Your birth, wherever you were born in time and place and space, doesn't get you any additional credit. All right? It was of his own sovereign will. He made a choice. That's the election. It wasn't because you were worthy, all right? If anyone teaches that election is because you did something, then that's putting a condition on it. And you're saying, he chose me because I'm worthy. No one was worthy, all right? unconditional election. Now, did the choice that God made back then, before the world began, of a people, did that change their situation? No, it didn't. There's something else that had to happen. He has defined who is under consideration and who is receiving his special love, but they are still what? In that same condition. Totally corrupt and completely estranged. Okay? So I want you to go to Ephesians chapter 1 and read verse 4 again. We started with this looking at him choosing. Let's go a little bit farther in the verse. And I'll start reading verse 3 while you turn there. But I want you to be looking when I get to 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ... Who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings. Ah! I'm struggling. Alright. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, in Christ. Alright, so who's the subject of this sentence? God the Father. And He's blessing us. According as He, God the Father, hath chosen us, In Him, when? Before the foundation of the world. That, here's the end result, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. We will be in His presence, in a state of love, not estrangement, and not totally corrupt anymore, but holy and without blame. Not the least little bit could you be accused of, could you be holy and without blame, before Him in love, having predestinated us, marked out in advance, having predestinated us, again the same people under consideration, the ones that He chose, unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself. He is going to adopt this people and the manner it's going to be accomplished is by Jesus Christ. And that's a, that's a summary. There's a whole lot that goes into that. But the actor, the one who had to perform something, was Jesus Christ. It was his work that caused us to be adopted into that family according to the good pleasure of his will. Right? Whose will are we still talking about? Uh, the Father. It was his will. Jesus came to perform the Father's will. right? to the praise and glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. Why is He doing it? It gives God glory. It's going to be praise of His glory, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. Does that say that we will be accepted? No. We are currently accepted in the Beloved. What's the Beloved? That's the loved family of God. How can you be accepted in love, family of God? If you're holy and without blame. How is that possible? By the work of Jesus Christ. Verse 7. In whom we have redemption. In whom? In Jesus Christ. We have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Brother John, you just talked a whole lot. I'm not sure I understand where we're at. We're looking today at a doctrine that can be called different things. One could be called limited atonement. Another name is particular redemption. We looked at the condition of man and total depravity. In sin, dead, hopeless. We looked at God's choice of selecting the people and determining that they will be with Him, but to do that, they must be holy and without blame. Those sins had to be addressed. So, what we're looking at today is how were they addressed? What had to change was that Jesus came. And he took the sins, literally took every sin from every single one of his children, whether they'd been born yet or hadn't been born yet, doesn't matter, at one time and put them upon his own person and paid for them and the full penalty of it and he died in their place. And on them he placed his righteousness so that they became holy and without blame. They could not be charged for those sins because those sins had been paid in full. So we're looking at different concepts today and they may uh, be confusing in vocabulary. Um, So we're going to try and define them and try and see how they all work together. Um, Y'all hang with me. This is... This is important. This is foundational. This, this is truth you gotta get. Everything else hangs on this. Okay. So let's get some some definitions. Redemption. If you go to the old Oxford English Dictionary. Definition for redemption. The deliverance from sin and its consequences by the atonement of Jesus Christ. I like that definition. Redemption. Redemption has the concept of paying for something. Buying again. To purchase for yourself, there's many illusions throughout the New Testament of Jesus buying us, paying for us, releasing us. Sometimes it's the context of enslavery; you're paying the price for that slave's freedom. Sometimes it's a, a, a criminal, the debt that had to be paid, the consequence, the penalty for his crime, <coughs> that someone else paid, and now that criminal is released, and made free. Right? So we've got redemption. We've got the word of atonement. Elsewhere we use the word propitiation. These can these can be all kind of big preacher words and sound scary. So let's, uh, for our purposes, let's let's look at atonement as the work of Jesus Christ. Okay. How do we have Salvation. How is there a change possible from our state? The work of Jesus Christ, the atonement, what he did. From that, you have two consequences of it. A consequence from his work. One is that we are redeemed. Because of his work of atonement, we are redeemed. We are Delivered from sin and its consequences. That's a good thing, redemption. But remember how we were also estranged? We're now reconciled. So, the opposite of estrangement, reconciliation. To reconcile means to restore the friendly relations between two parties, right? Estranged, you've got something between you. Because of the atonement, because of the work of Jesus Christ, that barrier of our sin has been removed and we are now restored in a state of friendly. I mean, friendly is not even a strong enough word. But you are accepted in the beloved. So, how do we have redemption? How do we have reconciliation? Because of the work. Jesus Christ, which we refer to as the atonement. All right, so let's think about atonement. We hear in the Old Testament the word atonement mentioned frequently by the uh, in the context of the sacrifices. Right? God is setting up figures and types and shadows to point for what is going to have to happen. All right, they're the allusions to the real that's coming. Okay. Jesus Christ though he wasn't a descendant of Aaron right he wasn't part of the Levitical priesthood we're still told that he is a high priest of a different order the order of Melchizedek right he was a perfect high priest you know so let's let's frame it all right old testament you had high priest on the day of atonement would have to sacrifice some animals and specifically Um, Two goats. He'd have to lay his heads upon them. One would be um, the scapegoat and it would be borne off, and the other would die, and then the the priest would have to uh, sprinkle his blood. Right? It was to atone for the whole nation, Um, who was under consideration, whose sins were being put upon that animal. Just that nation's right. God's people that He had chosen apart. Right. That's a type for the real right? He had chosen a people, and their sins were put upon that animal. But the high priest had to be the one who's doing the work, right? But before he could start that work, he had to offer sacrifices for himself because he was a sinner. sinner. He was a man, right? So he had to have sacrifices. So unlike that picture, in the real, Jesus Christ fills the role of the perfect high priest. He had no sin, so he didn't have to sacrifice anything else. Mm -hmm. He was able to, in the same figure of laying the hands on that animal, he was transferring your sins and your sins and all the sins of his people, all the ones that, that the Father chose, are being put upon the sacrifice. Which not only is he the priest... He's the sacrifice, too. If you want a definition for um, propitiation, it means the sacrifice. Okay, The atonement is the whole act. right? But in the picture, the sacrifice itself is the propitiation. Okay, So Christ is the priest. He's perfect. He's sinless. He lays the sacrifice. He takes the sins to transfer it upon the sacrifice, which is also himself. And he slays the sacrifice. That was the priest's job, right? Did anybody take Jesus' life? No, he said, I'm laying it down. He's been given that gift. He's also going to take it back up again. He lays down, he slays the sacrifice, and he sprinkles his blood before God. Now, we know that um, the temple and the tabernacle and the altar, all those things are, again, just figures for the real. And so Jesus in Hebrews explains he went to the real. He went into heaven itself and was presenting, here I am. And he's presenting the blood of the Lamb that was slain, okay? And so he is both the priest, the high priest, he's also the sacrifice, that propitiation, right? The lamb had uh, anything that was offered had to be spotless, right? You couldn't have perf- you know, flaws. That's pointing to Christ being sinless, right? He was in this world and he had no sin. Okay? That's the only reason that he could be a sacrifice and have any merit to it. He voluntarily came, took on that role, he was holy, and he received those sins as a sacrifice, and he allowed himself to die, to be slain, and to have his blood poured out. He offered himself. Right? So that's that whole picture, the atonement, the paying the penalty for our sins. Taking the sins and then paying the penalty. Right? At, at atonement. At one-ment. Right? He paid the penalty that had to be paid. So limited atonement, what we're going to be looking at today, is saying that those that he atoned for, those that he redeemed, those that he reconciled, are the exact same ones that his father gave him. That large multitude out of every kindred nation of tribe that the Father put His love upon, they are the same ones that Jesus died for, that He atoned, um, that He did the work of atonement, and because of that, they are redeemed and bought for Himself. All right. So what I want to look at to start with is that this event is completed. Okay. Go to. Well, let's stick in Ephesians. We'll look. We're right there. Ephesians one, right? According as He has chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world. That's already completed. That we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. That was the intent of what it's going to get to when He made that choice. Having predestinated us unto the, uh, the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, the praise and the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved, in whom we have redemption." through his blood the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace we have redemption presently how do we have redemption verse 7 through his blood that blood is a reference to the work of the atonement Okay. did that just recently happen no, that's, that's, that's already happened. Jesus did not have to come and die more than once. Once was enough, and the work was perfect, and we received the forgiveness of sins by that work. By that, we are redeemed. We are delivered from sin and from its consequences by His work. We have redemption. Okay, Go over to Hebrews chapter 9. talking about this, you know, in big picture, but let's let's look at it a little bit more specifically. Hebrews 9, starting verse 6. Context, to the, the Hebrew writer is talking about how they were doing things under the Old Testament law. What was it pointing to? Now these things were ordained. The priest went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. Every day they had to go in to the first part of the temple or tabernacle and do their work. Lighting candles, putting out fresh bread, um, their daily sacrifices—they had to do that over and over and over again. But into the back part, the most holy, where the ark was, the second, uh, the second place, the high priest alone, once every year, he went once, just once a year, right? That was on the Day of Atonement, and not without blood, which he offered for himself, because he was a sinner, and for the errors of the people. The Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while as the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience. All right? So they're doing a work. It's what God told them to do, but it was pointing to something. It didn't fix anything. It was pointing to something which stood in meats and drinks and diverse washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of Reformation. Calvin and Luther and all them who are associated with the Reformation. Nope. The Reformation when things were reformed was completed by Jesus Christ himself. He had given a type and shadow model and then he reformed and said this is the real. He revealed he was the one. All that was pointing to was pointing to him. But Christ being come And high priest of good things to come by a a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Christ was the high priest. He was the sacrifice. By his work he atoned for his people and he obtained eternal redemption. This buying to himself. He obtained it. He didn't get, you know, like your, your dry cleaning ticket. If I have a dry cleaning ticket or I have my dry cleaning, which have I, wish I gotten my, my, my stuff back? Right? If I got the clothes in my hand, then I've got it back. If I've got the ticket, well, I've got a hope of getting it unless I forget or they wait too long or they give it away. Right? He obtained it. He had it in full. Not an IOU. Not a maybe. It was not a question. He obtained eternal redemption for us. All right? He obtained it. Again, the idea is that this is a completed event. We're looking at the work of Christ and what it accomplished. He obtained eternal redemption. Redemption. Did he, he attained an opportunity for people to have eternal redemption? Doesn't say that, right? It's not a question mark. He obtained it. All right, go to Revelation 5 and 9. Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. Thou art worthy. take the book singing a new song in heaven and to open the seals thereof for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to god by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and has made unto our god kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth all right they're coming the lamb has come in the lamb that was slain who is it talking about jesus christ Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals. Why? For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God. Out by thy blood, out of every kindred, tongue, nation, and people. Right? He has redeemed us. When did that redemption occur? On the cross. Right? He shed <coughs> his blood. And again, You've got these allusions to by the blood, by the cross. These are all shorthand references for the whole work of Jesus Christ coming into this world, becoming man, the God-man, which you can't wrap your head around that. Neither can I, but it's true. Fully God, fully man. And being willing to be terribly mistreated by his own creation and to be taken abused and led out of his city outside the gates to be crucified and then to allow himself to die because he is fulfilling the father's will that he would atone for the people that his father gave him. And so he obtained it. By his blood, he obtained it. Thou hast redeemed us. You have bought us. You've paid the price for us. You've bought us to God. God have a real personal interest in this? Yeah, these are the ones that he put his love upon before the foundation of the world. And he gave them to his son. That he was going to perform the work to redeem them. The work that they couldn't do. You and I couldn't redeem ourselves. We had nothing to offer. The actor in all this is Christ. The acting party. How did he do it? By his blood and by his death, by taking those sins upon us. Right. You've redeemed us. Who's the us? It's the same people, the same ones that God chose. He put his love upon out of every kindred, tribe, tongue, and nation. Out of. Is that, is that the whole world he redeemed? No, it was out of. It was us. In all these verses, the acting party in atonement and redemption and reconciliation is Christ. and Christ alone. The price that he had to pay to redeem you, to deliver you from your servitude to sin, because servant you were. He who sins is a servant of sin. To redeem you and pay your price was his very life, his very blood. And that is very costly. This was not a small thing. This was the most expensive thing that could be given, the most valuable thing that could be given, and he gave it freely. The acting party is Christ, that the price was his, his life and his blood, and who received the benefit of it? His people, his children, the ones that God, the Father bestowed his love upon, and they were yet sinners before the world even began. Is that, is that hard to wrap your head around? Yeah, a little bit. God's a lot bigger than we are. His plans are a lot more elaborate and long-running. And when He sets out to do something as the sovereign, it will be done. We're just learning how He did it. Go to John chapter 17 and verse 9. John 17 and verse 9. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. Who does Jesus pray for? Those that the Father gave him. They belong to Jesus. They belong to God the Father. Those are the ones that he is concerned with here in this prayer. Go back to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. About verse 39. We'll start 38. I mentioned that. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me, God the Father. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. There's a definitive number. If there wasn't a definitive number, you wouldn't know if you'd lost one. The Father gave the Son people. They're the same ones that the Father chose to put His love upon and He gave them to the Son and those He charged with the Son of atoning for them. To redeem them, to buy them back to God so they can be reconciled. No longer totally corrupt and estranged but now holy and without blame before Him in a state of love. And he ain't going to lose a single one. That of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. No. Go to 2 Timothy 1 9. No. 2 Timothy 1 9. Verse 8 ends with according to the power of God, who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Purpose and grace were given you in Christ Jesus before the world began. So when did God the Father give that people to his Son? Before the world began, there was a purpose that the Son would redeem them, would atone them, would reconcile them. And they've had that grace put upon them ever since. Were you involved in any of these decisions? Are you the beneficiary? Absolutely! Is church about you? We sure make it about ourselves though, right? Can I get out of church? What can I? Do? I'm not going to run that tangent. Just think about that a second. You're here because of what Christ did. He's the focal point. You spend your whole week thinking about you. This is your recalibration of, oh yeah, this is who I ought to be thinking about. Here's the big picture of what's been done If all these things be for me, who can be against me? Well, what's for you? If you don't understand these foundational teachings, you don't understand what's for you. You don't know what is done. You don't know what a sad condition and hopeless and wretched state you were in. And what, as that song said, if the Lord sent us to hell, all we could say is that you're just. You're righteous. A crime had been committed. And justice demands the punishment. You say, well, I haven't haven't committed a crime. Yeah. Every time you disobey God in small magnitude, as you want to put it, or large, that's a crime against God. And he is a holy God who does not overlook sin. He cannot. If someone came out here to the parking lot and stole your car and then drove down the road and started robbing banks, and then on the road they crashed that car into a, you know, Puppy factory, right? And a lot of puppies were injured. And, like, just imagine them just doing that worst possible thing on this just crime spree. And you get to the end of it. He goes before the judge and says, oh, shucks. He said sorry. We'll just let him go this time. You'd say, no! A rampant crime spree has been committed. There's got to be justice. There's got to be a penalty. And, you know, even in our silly little corrupt brains, we can see that that would be unjust. For one of our sins. The just punishment is death. The wages of sin is death. You say, well, that doesn't sound just to me. You don't define just. God does. And so if you don't understand that magnitude, you can't understand of, 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 of our depravity and what we rightfully deserve. Lord, give me what I deserve. Only God can judge me. Oh, my friends... What has Christ done? And what price did he pay? Because he took all those sins and put them upon himself and bore the consequences. Both. He stood into your place where you should be bearing the wrath of God for every single sin. And he took it for you. If you don't get that, you can't understand what level of sacrifice he made and how infinitely blessed you are. You know how I know we don't know that? Cuz we whine. We whine about little things, right? And if we can remember this of what great things God has really done for me already by the sacrifice of his son and how he is atoned for my sins. He took them upon himself and took that which was vile and ugly and gross me and made me holy and without blame, having His righteousness put upon me, that I can be before the God of the universe and not stand there ashamed, trying to cover myself. Lord, I can't can't be here. I can't be in Your presence. To be holy and without blame, before Him in love. That's what God has done. That's what Jesus has done. Flip over to Titus. Titus 1, 1 and 2. Paul, a servant of God, and apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect. Does God have an elect? Yeah. Are they given faith? Yeah. And the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, Promised before the world began. God knew what He was doing. That grace that was put upon His people, included that was a promise of eternal life. To fulfill that promise, Jesus Christ had to come and do the hard work. Okay, <coughs> But it's, it's the same ones, the same ones that are under consideration. You say, you've you, beaten a dead horse. I know, but most folks miss this. Right. What, what makes primitive Baptists different than most folks, even those who will mention words like predestination election, is that they'll mess up this concept. And they'll somehow say that, well, Jesus died for everybody, but it only sticks for the ones that do something, that add to it. Right? This concept is general atonement. Kind of broad brushing, wasn't for anybody specific. But you know the the, the the pharmacist has made the the prescription. You've got the ability to cash it. You just got to go and get it. That's their concept. That ain't scripture. The scripture is that he came, he did the work, and he got what he's paid for. I came to atone my people, the ones that the Father gave me before the foundation of the world, that He put His love upon, that I've been loving them since then too. I came. And I offered myself for them, specifically for their individual sins. They were all put upon me for this whole nation. That spiritual Israel, every single one has been put upon me. And now they're put away. That scapegoat, the one who went away, that's the picture of the sins departing. They're put away as far as the east is from the west. Not in theory, but actually. And because of that, they are now redeemed. Are redeemed. Not will be if they add something to this. But you are redeemed. You are bought to God by Jesus Christ. Who is the purchaser? Jesus Christ. What did he offer? His blood to pay the sin debt. The debt that you and I rightfully owed. So who's under consideration in both the atonement and election? The same group of people. He came to take their sins. And he did. He came to bear the consequences of those sins. and he did. And each of those people now have the forgiveness from those sins and they are holy and without blame. Go over to First Peter. First Peter. Chapter 1. Well, let's read 2 because you're going to see who your audience is. Verse 2. Elect to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Right? The Father chose them. That's who he's writing to. Verse eighteen. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversations received by traditions of your fathers, there was no redemption under evil the idolatrous practices. Right? There are people still slaying animals for their sins today. Do you know that? One of the Men that I meet at the coffee shop on Tuesday mornings. He was a missionary overseas in a country where this particular day of the year. The rich folks would buy animals and things and the bigger the animal, the more sins they would get to be forgiven and they would have a a day where they sacrificed them. Right now, that's still going on. He's saying, none of that did any good. Whether you're offering to an idol of gold or silver or you're giving money, you can't get out of it. You know that we weren't redeemed by those corruptible things received by traditions of your fathers. What were you redeemed with? but with the precious blood of Christ. As of a lamb without blemish and without spot, right? Picks up that picture of the Old Testament figure. He's the lamb. Abraham told Isaac that God would provide himself a sacrifice, right? And he did. And it had to be a perfect one, one without spot or blemish, couldn't have any sin. Well, you can't find that among mankind. And so God came down, right? He came from heaven. The precious blood of Christ, that's how you were redeemed. Who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Christ's work was set out in advance as well. Right? God chose a people, He gave them to His Son, and the Son's work to atone them was set out in advance. None of this was a surprise to God. Jesus came to fulfill the Father's will. And that will has been in place since before the Son first shone. <laughs> How long has God been loving you? A long time. Do we get grumpy and feel unloved sometimes? Are we foolish in that respect? If we don't understand. The big picture of what he's done? Yeah, you can get discouraged. You can look at the troubles and the trials and the irritations and the strife and have a woe is me pity party. I'm pretty good at it. But it's like, you know, arguing. You got four pieces of sand between your toes and a mountain of an inheritance prepared for you. And we get so irritated about those four little grains of sand between our toes when... Look what he's done! Well, that's not relevant. That's just dry doctrine. That's boring. That just doesn't have anything to do with day-to-day life. Wake up! It'll change your life if it does. It doesn't change what he did. He did the work. It's just whether you pull your head out of the sand and recognize it. Okay, Ostrich reference. All right. All right. Christ's work was foreordained. Since before the foundation of the world. Just now it's been revealed. Right? The Old Testament saints, they couldn't address Christ directly because they didn't know him yet. He hadn't made himself plain. Are you privileged to know the truth of who Jesus Christ is and what he's done? Exceptionally. Exceptionally. All right. So who did Jesus die for? You're going to keep beating this horse? Yes, I am. John chapter 10. John chapter 10, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. Right, Patrick? The good shepherd giveth his life for the whole world. For somebody. For folks who will let him. He gives himself, gives his life for the sheep. That's a description for his children. That's a description for the ones that the Father put his love upon. Sheep, not particularly bright animals, require a lot of time and attention and effort and care. Pretty good descriptor for us, right? He lays down his life for the sheep. What's in consideration of him laying down his life? The atonement. Did he have a particular group in mind when he laid down his life? Yeah. the sheep. How many goats did he die for? Not a one. When he died, did it turn any goats to sheep? No. The sheep have been sheep since the Lord, God the Father, put his love upon them. That's what made them sheep. Okay. Verse 14 says again, I'm the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. He knows you. He knows you individually. Not just kind of broad brush strokes. He knew you. And He knew you. And He knew you and you every single child of God throughout all the ages. And He knew of all their sins and loved them anyway and went through with dying for them anyway. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Now some folks will say, well, he's just talking about the Jews. We'll read the next verse. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, yeah. them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice. And there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Jews, who he was talking to and who his public ministry was at that time, and later, after his resurrection, it'd be revealed that the other fold is all those Gentiles, which is a good use for you and me. Gentile just means non-Jews. Out of every kindred, nation, tribe, and tongue, and number which cannot be counted, he had his people, and they are all now one, one fold, one shepherd, Right? Therefore doth my Father love me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No man taketh it from me. I have, I, but I lay it down myself. I have the power to lay it down and the power to take it again. This commandment have I received in my Father. So you've got this picture here of him recognizing that as the shepherd, the caretaker of these people that the Father has given to him, he is going to do what it takes to clean them, to purify them, to make them whole and without blame, which is going to involve laying down his own life. No one's going to take it from him by force, but he is going to lay it down. And gratefully, he ain't got the power to take it back again in the resurrection because Jesus Christ is not dead. He lives. He is the head of this church. I ain't it. All I can do is represent him as best I can and point you to him and to his word. That's the final authority. He's the final authority. Okay? Alright. Haven't given you an illustration, or maybe I have, but I haven't given you a definitive illustration today. So let's say you are born congratulations. Uh, kind of like the government leaving debt to our grandchildren. You're born in debt. <laughs> a mere five billion dollars against you. And every day you've got interest charges that rack up of another hundred million. Now you're thrown in debtor's prison, congratulations, you're born, um, and you cannot earn funds there. You have nothing to your account, you have no skills, and you can't do anything in solitary confinement. When are you going to pay off your debt? Never. never. Congratulations, that's your state in sin. You've got a principle that you can never repay, and you have no opportunity to repay any of it. You have nothing to offer. That's your state in sin, Okay. Now one comes along and pays off your balance in full and no new charges can be brought against you. You're released from prison. That's what Christ did. But that lump sum that he had to pay was the most valuable, costly thing in the universe. His blood and his life. That's what you've already received. That's what it took to release you from your bondage to sin. From the debt that you owed God for your sin. Different illustration. Let's say a wife takes out a loan to buy a car. In Georgia at least... Surprisingly, the husband's not automatically on the hook. You got some California and some common law states, uh, community property states, so it's a little bit different. But in Georgia, the husband's not automatically on the hook. But let's imagine that sometime after that loan, the husband steps in and says, I am going to guarantee this note. Okay? I'm going to be the one that you can go to, lender, if you need to, to get the balance. The husband eventually. Pays the whole thing off. Didn't have to. right? He voluntarily stepped in. He paid it off. Can that bank still go against the wife? No. The debt has been paid. Wasn't paid by her. It was incurred by her. No. But someone else voluntarily stepped in and paid the debt. It's called being a surety. Right? There's a lot of uh, admonitions and proverbs about not doing that for other people. <laughs> doesn't work out well. But Christ was a surety for us. All the way back from the foundation of the world, God the Father knew that his son was good and he was going to stand true to his word that he would complete this. And so there wasn't never any doubt. And who is the bride of Christ? His church, Right, we know that In Ephesians chapter 5, when it's talking about husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loves his church and gave himself for it, that it would be without spot and without blemish. He's talking about that love that he had for his church. And so he, has, as the husband stepped in, and we, as his bride, the church, the elect family, all the same, he loved and he took upon himself the debt that he didn't rack up. And he paid it in full. And now his bride, his church, his elect family are free and clear. No one that he died for can end up in hell. That would be requiring a double payment. It's like saying, you know, we we bought that that car. Husband's paid it off. And the bank says, well, wife, I didn't get a check for $20,000 from you. So you're going to have to give it. The, The debt's been paid. And so those who advocate for a general atonement somehow say that Christ could die for everybody, but God's still going to require that payment from them if they don't do something to make that debt payment effective. It's nonsense. And it ignores the other states of, you're dead in trespasses and sins. What can you do? Not a thing. So we understand... That God the Father chose His people. That's what Scripture teaches. Those people were unworthy of being chosen. Right? (coughs) Not by their will, not by their running, not by their actions, not by their deeds, not by what they wanted, not because He was a good boy. Right? Unworthy, equally. And yet God still put His love upon them (coughs) and gave them to His Son and His Son agreed, obeying the Father's will. That he would come into this world to do what it took. The action that it took to pay for them. To buy them. To redeem them and to reconcile them from that state of being totally corrupt and estranged from God. You're separated from God and you're, you're, you're sinning, right? That's what you did. That's what you wanted. That's what you were. You were a sinner. To be made holy and without blame for him in love to be reconciled, to be perfectly reconciled. The same folks under consideration of who the Father chose are the exact same ones that Jesus came to die for. This is the doctrine of limited atonement. Not a general dying for everybody, but dying for the same ones that his Father gave him. Particular redemption, redemption, Who did he buy? The ones that the Father gave him. Those are the ones that he gave his blood for. And if he gave his blood for anyone else, you know where they'd be? In heaven, heaven, with him. He's not going to get shortchanged. His sovereign will is not going to be limited by anyone on earth. And oh yeah, oh this is already taking place before you're even on the scene least in our lives obtained redemption obtained eternal redemption this is why we're here to celebrate Jesus Christ our Lord our Savior and the infinite level of love (laughs) that it took to offer himself for folks who are so unworthy And what do we do with that? That's, That's what most sermons are about. Okay, here's the truth now. You go apply it, and you go apply it, and you go apply it, and go apply it, and go apply it. Those are all needful. Those are necessary. I don't have time to get into an apply it message today. But this is the big picture of the why. What has God done? These are things that we should be able to have in our mind and to meditate on because they will reframe how you see the world. We talk about total properties. Why is there such wickedness in the world? Well, if you think people are inherently good, which is a belief system that is predominant in our culture, believing people are inherently good, you're going to be disappointed over and over and over again because it ain't going to match up. But if you understand where we start from as being totally depraved, yeah, you're going to see reinforcement of that. Go, go serve on jury duty. Go work for CASA for a week. You will see it, right? And so from that then we can see what a miracle that God the Father could love us even in that state. And that you don't have to clean your life up somehow to be worthy enough for God to love you. That's a lot of pressure. You can't scrub hard enough. And so taking that pressure off, it becomes a Wow, how much does he love me? Wow, what is he giving for me? He's given his son. Wow, what do I do in response? Well, I just go back to living an old sinful way because why not? Jesus has paid it all. No, you live a different life out of love and gratitude. And a desire to please the one who's adopted you into his family, your heavenly father. Naturally, we want to please our, 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 our natural fathers, but this one's even greater. Perfect, sinless, and loves you in spite of knowing you and redeemed you to himself. Paid that price. He's bought you again. So Jesus' work was the, the atonement, that action of laying down his life and shedding his blood. It atoned you. It paid for that sin price. right? And because of that, you're now reconciled to God and you're redeemed from your sins. You've been bought from them, from, the, from them itself, and its consequences, and you're reconciled with God. These are precious truths. There's a lot more we can say. We won't today. Thank you all. your time and attention.